before I jump into my message, I want to share something with you. Um, and I want to talk about our, our building, our facility. So we've been on this journey of obedience with the Lord as we believe him for a new facility. If you've come in the front door um, or, or in the back, you'll notice that there's, there's a couple stickers on the wall. And it's, it looks like it's got some, some building plans and then, and then a hand, like a handprint. And it says, thank you, Jesus, for our new building. And we've been on this kind of journey, trusting him as he kind of provokes us to step out in faith. And so last year on Father's Day, I, 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 I kind of launched to our, our church family what I was sensing the Lord prompting us to do as we were taking steps of faith toward believing for a, a new facility. Now listen, as, as, as a pastor and as a leader, there are some pastors and leaders, they've got these dreams, like I just want to build this big building, I want to build something for, for Jesus, something you can see and put your hands on. To be honest, that's never been a dream of mine. I've never had this dream or desire that, man, I just want to one day be able to build something, you know, like, like a facility or a, or a building. So as, as Jesus was, was prompting me to look around at our facility and begin saying like, hey, dream for something here, I felt confident knowing like, hey, this isn't my ego because this is nothing, honestly, that I ever wanted to do. So we had some dream sessions with our leadership team as we sat one Saturday morning at breakfast together and I talked about our building and we started to dream about what it could look like. Um, and then we, we started to ask the questions, what should, our, what should our new facility feel like? Because a building has a feel, right? Yes, Pastor Craig, a building has a feel. I, thank you, I, I, I heard that. And, and, and buildings, like, buildings, are, they're not just functional, although they are functional, but, but they have a feeling. And bu buildings also communicate things. So we were sitting around being like, what do we want our, our, our new facility, what do we want it to feel like? When you walk in, what do I want someone who's never been in the building before, what do I want them to feel, right? When you, when you drive by or, or walk past our, our, the, the facility, what do, you want that to, what do we want that to speak to people? Because buildings communicate. And right now... I don't want to ask because I'm, I'm kind of, I would be semi-concerned with the answers, but like right now our building communicates something. Actually, I'll, I'll, I'll fill in some of the blanks. If you stand across the street and you look at our building, our, our building kind of communicates, it's a little tired. It's a little blending into the block. It's like, you kind of look, you're like, does anything even happen there? It's, it's kind of dark inside. We can't see inside. Like, see, these are some of the things that our current, our current building communicates. So we had this dream session and we started writing down things like, what, do we, what are some things that we want in our new facility? Now, many of you, uh, many of you know that, that uh, this church is the only thing that has ever been at this address. At 8809 La Mesa Boulevard, there has never been another anything here other than this church. Now, this church has had several names, but same church. This year, we are 89 years old. 89 years and from the time that, that, this, that this ministry built its first permanent structure, it was right here. And actually, if you, if, if you go like where our cafe is and you go down this long hallway, you'll see some drawings or some sketches on the, on, the, on the wall there. It shows the progression of what this building looked like. And the very first one is kind of this, this open, open roofed, you know, like, like plant-based structure. It was very vegan for the time. We were, we, were, we were decades ahead of our time. We had the first vegan building um, but that was not on this, that was like a temporary location. It was not far from here. But when they first built that first building, it was on this, uh, in this location. And I believe that it is absolutely strategic that we are where we are. So when I talk about a new facility and a new building, I'm not looking to move. 
We're looking to do something with what the Lord has given us because I believe it's his calling for our church to be at this address in this location on this block. I've even talked to some other pastors. I talked to, uh, to, to Mark Hoffman a, a few weeks ago who, who started uh, Foothills Church. And he actually grew up and lived down the street here. His dad pastored St. Luke's Church, which is just down the street here. And he goes, you know, when I grew up running up and down La Mesa Boulevard, he goes, the block actually looks pretty much the same. He said, when I, when I was young, he said, there's the, the hills, he goes, the hills has always been there. That's always been like a, like a restaurant, pub, and the dry cleaning. He was talking about all these places. He, he even said Baskin Robbins, like that's always been on this, on this corner. So there's something strategic about us being here. And so we're not looking to move. We're believing that Jesus is going to completely renovate and overhaul our facility. Or if he desires, then he can tear it down and rebuild it. <laughs> Some of you are like, where are we going to have church if we tear it down? I don't know. We'll figure it out. Maybe we'll put a tent in the parking lot or something, right? All people's church has been meeting in a tent for years because they, they can't build a facility. But either way, we want to stay right here. This past fall is when I felt prompted after sharing the vision of, of what we wanted to do with our, with our facility taking some faith steps. And on Father's Day, we, took, I just, we just randomly took up an offering and said, I want, I want us to give today a seed offering towards our new facility. And then in the fall, I, I, you know, I put those stickers up because I was the only one. I would walk around this building, like I'm here, you know, like six days a week. And I would walk around the building. Whenever I'd walk around, I would just lay hands on the building. I'd say, thank you, Jesus, for our new building. Thank you for our new building. And that's why I put the stickers up, because one day I felt Jesus say to me, he goes, you need to activate your people to do the same thing that you're doing. So when you walk around the building and you see those stickers, you just lay hands on it. You say, thank you, Jesus, for our new building. Thank you, Jesus, for our new building. Because I believe that God has something for us, and we need to activate the thing that God has for us. So this past January, I'm walking you through a little bit so that what I tell you um, may not seem so crazy. It's either going to excite you or you're going to look at me and think I'm crazy. This past January, I sensed the Lord pushing me once again to take a couple action steps towards unlocking our new facility. And I shared those with, with our board. And when I shared them, they were full of faith, 100% on board. They said, let's, let's do it. And so the first thing, the first thing that, that, that I felt the Lord say to do um, was to get some plans drawn up. We need some plans for our, for our new facility. And so on April the 5th, which is significant, it was Passover day. We met with an architect and we walked the architect through our building. Uh, Renee and I, Jim Penner, who's on our board, who's on vacation uh, this week, we walked through an architect uh, to have him see what our building looks like. What is the feel? What is the flow? What are some of the things that we like to see? What are the, some of the things that are weird? Because let's be real, our building's a little weird, right? <laughs> It's a little weird in here. And so we, we walked through some of those things. And we, we even walked out onto the, onto, onto the roof. And we were walking around looking at the neighborhood from the roof. And what, what could this be up, up here? And the, the, the architect firm that, that we reached out to, Jim uh, contacted them and shared what we were looking for. And they were like, we are so excited. We love working with churches on designing facilities and buildings for them. And so he was like, this is great. And they said, this is what we're going to do. We're actually going to hold an internal competition within our firm for our senior and junior architects to see who comes up with the best plans. And so we're not only going to have one architect working on a set of new plans, we're going to have like four. 
and then they're gonna, we're going to meet with them. They're going to present all of their plans, and we get to choose the one that we feel like, okay, let's start working with this one. So this is really quite, quite the thing. The other thing that Jim said to them before they, they agreed to work with us, he said, he said this. He goes, you know, uh, we don't have the money for this. <laughs> we're just trusting Jesus is going to pay the bills along the way. And, the, and the, the owner of the firm goes, I love it. We love to partner with faith projects. I'm like, yes, thank you, Jesus. This is our architect firm. Because how many people know, many architect firms and many businesses out there would be like, you know, maybe talk to us when you have a little bit of money. Like, to be honest, I'm like really naive when it comes to this stuff. I'm thinking like, oh yeah, let's just get some plans drawn up. This is another, another faith step. And then uh, Jim goes, yeah, so this is going to cost, you know, like $20,000. And I was like, I was sitting at my desk and I just kind of pushed my chair back and I leaned back and I was like, oh Jesus. Now my faith, say up to, up to that point, my faith steps haven't costed us anything. Right, so now, now I'm like, okay, now we're putting, we're putting our money where our, where our mouth is. And then, uh, like in the grand scheme of a building, like we're, we're talking on the low end, like $4 million is what we need. $20,000 in the grand scheme of $4 million is, is like nothing, like really. But for me, this is a big deal. I feel the responsibility and the weight of this. And so I'm, I'm excited to say that in a couple months, we'll be meeting with the architect firm to, to go over the plans that they've come up for us, which is super exciting. Yeah? Yeah. The second thing that I felt the Lord say to do was I felt, I felt him tell me that we are to take all of the funds that we have in our building fund, all of the money, and we're to give it away. I was, I was shocked, the same, the same as that. <laughs> that we are to take all of, the, all of the money that's been donated into our building fund and we are to give it specifically to another church who is in the midst of their own building project. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, I want you to give this as seed into their, their building project. As you partner with what I'm doing in that church, then it's going to unlock something for your church. And so I presented, like, like listen, we're not, we're not talking about a lot of money here, right? Like, if, if you know the story of the widow and her might, that's what we're talking about. <laughs> Like it's not, we're not talking tens and thousands of dollars. We're talking about a widow's might, especially for the project that, 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 we're, that we're giving to. But you know what? It's not about the size of the gift. It's not about the size of the offering. It's about the obedience behind it, right? Because the, 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 in, like in our hands, it's, it's, it's the widow's might compared to what we need Jesus to do. But when we're like, he says, give it, we're like, okay, we're partnering with you. And in his hands, it's so much greater than it is in our hands. And so we're actually just taking that and we're activating it into God's economy as he says, I want you to give it all. I want you to give it all. And so we're trusting him. And so we've got a church uh, building project that we're going to give to. And this is, this is an obedience. This is done out of, out of obedience because what I'm asking the Lord for, for us, is I'm asking the Lord to give us a new facility debt-free. Like I'm not looking to... to like I, we talk about legacy quite often here. I'm not looking to pass on a legacy of like a $3 million mortgage to somebody else in 20 years, right? Like I'm, I'm asking the Lord as I pray about our building and what he has for us. I'm like, God, I want this debt free. Like he, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And if you understand creation, he also owns the hills. So what we need here is not, is not a lot, right? In, in the grand scheme of God's economy, we're not asking for a lot, but I don't want to mortgage off our future. I'm asking the Lord to, to, to do this debt-free. So church, church family, what, what this is, this is a 
a family faith journey that we're walking on together. And I feel like it's important that as we've, we've marked some of these significant things over the past year or so, that we journey this together. Because you gave to our building project. I gave out of my personal finances in that offering to our building project, to our building fund. And now out of obedience, collectively, we're giving that away because the Lord has asked us to do this. If the Lord has ever asked you to give all of something away, it can be a little scary. It's a little risky to give it all. But there's no better place to be when Jesus, than, than where Jesus is your only option. And that's really where we are. Jesus is our only option here. We turn 100 in 11 years. And I am looking forward to celebrating 100 years in a brand new facility that does not look like, feel like, or communicate anything like this one does. Not that there's anything wrong with this. What we have, we inherited. This is legacy given to us. But I don't wanna waste it. I don't wanna waste the legacy. I wanna take, the, I wanna take what God's given us and I wanna invest in it and I want to grow it. This is the parable of the talents. This is the talent that the Lord has given us. I want just like take a moment and look around. Look around at each other, look around at, our, at, our, at, you know, at, at the room. You may not realize this, but we're a 10 talent church. Connecting it to the story of the parable of the talents, the master gave 10, five and one, different amounts. We are a 10 talent church with what the Lord has given us. And we're gonna take that 10 talent that he's given us and we are gonna invest it and we are going to grow it. We are going to engage our faith in it. And part of that process is giving, uh, is giving this seed offering into another church building. So as we do that, and we're actually gonna give that in, in, in two weeks, um, we're gonna give that, that check to them. And I want you to continue to pray into our facility, continue to lay hands on it and say, thank you for this one. And I thank you for the one that's coming because God is going to do some incredible things in our midst. If it's not Jesus, then in 11 years, we're gonna be standing here in the exact same building. But I believe that this is the Lord and that we are following him out of obedience. Why? Because it seems absolutely ridiculous for the amount of people that we have in this room and the amount of people that call our church home to talk about building a brand new facility. I've shared this with, with high level leaders, like my, my pastors who are, who are over me. And the, when I shared it about, you know, hey, we need to do something with our facility. He looked at me, uh, cause he was here and he, he spoke uh, a couple summers ago and he looked at me and he goes, you need to build your base first. You need to get some people coming to your church first before you start looking at your facility. I'm like, okay, I, I, I hear you, but I, I also hear, I hear the voice of the Lord in my ear telling me I need to do, I need to do something here. And so this is, this is a, a, a faith journey. I don't, I don't know if you guys are, but I'm extremely excited about where we're going and what God is doing today. Like you, you in this room today, come on, come on. Absolutely. You are here on an absolute historic day where we share that we are, we, are, we are giving a seed offering. And if maybe you're like, I don't quite understand the excitement about giving money away, then I believe 
that God's about to unlock some generosity things in your own heart. Because when God asks you to give, it's 100% exciting. Because you're not looking at what you're giving away. You, you know that you're, I'm partnering with you and doing something, Lord. Yes. I'm going to pray and then we're gonna, I'm going to share. Jesus, following you and doing life with you is exciting and it's risky. And you don't ask us to, to give a little bit, but you ask us to go all in. And so here we are. We go all in with everything. All of our time, all of our talents, all of our treasure, all of our lives, we go all in. And today as a pastor of this church that has an incredible legacy and a rich history and, and, and an absolutely unlimited future ahead, I pray that you take the offering that we are about to give and sow and that you would multiply it exponentially and that it would bless the, the church building project where we are giving it. As we partner with what you're doing in your economy, I pray, Jesus, that you would unlock finances for what you want to do here for us at this church. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we're in our, we're in our series, Friendship with Jesus. Fairweather friends, I'm sure every one of us has had the unfortunate experience of thinking we had, you know, a real true friend or, or like a group of friends and like, hey, these are real friends. But you know what? Push came to shove and it turned out they weren't actually real friends. They were only fairweather friends. I remember one painful moment in my life when I realized that my friends were only fairweather and I feel like I need to give a, a, a little bit of a pastoral disclaimer here. The following story is in no way advocating any specific behavior and does not reflect my current life, my current follower of Jesus lifestyle. I didn't grow up as a follower of Jesus, but I became a follower of Jesus when I was just a shade before 21. And so this story comes, I'm 19, not a follower of Jesus. So I'm not promoting or giving a thumbs up to the, any of the behavior that, that is coming in this story, okay? 19 years old. I went out with three friends one night, so there was a group of four of us, and we, we went out. And in the course of the night, one of my friends, whose name was Gordy, Gordy got into an argument with some random guy. Now, Gordy was very stubborn and hard-headed and very opinionated, and I don't even know what they were talking about, but they got into this argument, and the argument got heated and escalated very, very quickly. The next thing I knew, Gordy and this random guy were in a fist fight. Gordy was not handling the fight well. Let, let me just say, if this was a, like, like a UFC fight or if this was an actual like sanctioned boxing match, the ref would have jumped in there and stopped the fight because Gordy was not protecting himself in any way, shape, or form. He was, he was you know, like they would say, he was, he was getting fed. He was eating every punch that was coming his way and he was doing nothing about it. And me being a good friend, I'm watching what's unfolding here and I'm going, oh my gosh, like he's really going to get hurt. And so I jumped in, probably not in the way that you think that I, that I jumped in. I jumped in and I, I wrapped my arms around Gordy's waist and I picked him up and I threw him 
over my right shoulder, and then I turned and walked away. I didn't engage the other guy who was, you know, roughhousing my friend Gordy, but I, and I wanted nothing to do with that. I just wanted to save my friend because I was concerned he was really going to get hurt. So as I wrapped my arms around Gordy, and I pick him up, and I, I literally, it was the middle of winter, I threw him into a snowbank over my right, and I turned and I walked away this way, and, and I was like, I'm done. I broke up the fight. My hope was that Gordy would have the opportunity to stand up and to walk away and not continue to take a beating that was just nasty. What I didn't realize is the, the guy who was beating up Gordy also had a friend. And so as I threw Gordy to the right into a snowbank and I turned and walked away to the left, the friend jumped me. I was okay, it was, I was able to protect myself, I was defending myself until the guy who was beating up Gordy, who's now in a snowbank, saw that his friend was in a fight and he jumped in and now it's two against one. And I thought to myself, for sure I've got friends, especially Gordy, who I just rescued, that they were going to come and help me. Many bruises later and a broken nose later, I realized that they were only fair weather friends. Now, you're probably sitting there thinking, that's what happened to your face. <laughs> Not true. I, re I reset my own nose that night. Uh, it was a horrible experience. <laughs> Proverbs 18.24 says this. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. That was me. I came to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Does anybody know what the opposite of a fair weather friend is? I didn't. You, you know who, who did know? Google. Google always knows. And so I, I literally Googled, what's the opposite of fair weather friend? It's all weather friend. Which is kind of a funny term, and which is probably why nobody has ever heard this before. But it's an all weather friend. It's someone that is with you and for you no matter what happens in your life. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you face. Hard times, they're there. Celebrations, they're there. In sorrow, they're there. In milestone moments of your life, they're there. When you make knucklehead decisions, they're there. They always love you and they are always with you and for you. Jesus is that friend that sticks closer than a brother. Jesus is the all-weather friend in your life. Jesus is a friend that loves you at all times. If you got your Bible, I want you to turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, and we're going to read verses 12, 12 to 15. If you don't have your Bible, um, you can uh, watch the screens. We'll have the, the scriptures on the screens as well. All right, starting at verse 12. It says, this is my commandment, that you love and unselfishly seek the best for one another, just as I have loved you. No one has greater love or stronger commitment than to lay down his own life for his friends. You are my friends if you keep on doing what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you my friends, because I have revealed to you everything that I have heard from my Father. It's really something to be a friend of Jesus. You and I are friends of Jesus if. If. Verse 14 has that, that very important word. If. If you keep on doing what I command. See, it's not a blanket statement. It's not like, like, whoa, I'm, I'm a friend of Jesus. Jesus is like, he's, he's all of our friends. No, it's, it's, you are my friends if you do and keep on doing what I command. 
And what he commanded is found in verse 12. It says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. See, there, there are, when you read through the gospels, there are many, many, many things that Jesus teaches. Many things that he asks us to do. But this command, that you love each other as I have loved you, is the qualifier to be his friend. See, when we give our lives to Jesus, we are transformed by his love for us, making it possible for us to love people the way that he loves us. This is, this is stunning to be called a friend of Jesus. Because like we're not just his servants and we're not, we're not just his sons and daughters, but we are his friends. He, Drew Hunter says, said this, he says, he knows us better than we know ourselves and he loves us more deeply than anyone else ever could. We, we, sing, we started singing a song a couple, a couple weeks ago and it's called uh, Beloved or My Beloved. And it's got this line in it. It says, the one who knows us best is the one who loves us most. The one who knows us best is the one that loves us most. See, it's, it's stunning that no one knows you better than Jesus. And no one loves you more than Jesus. See, through all of, your, all of your faults and your failures and your bruises and your broken noses and your warts and your knucklehead decisions, Jesus knows you the best. And he loves you the most. It's stunning to be called a friend of Jesus. See, at our best and at our worst, Jesus is your friend. See, when you make good choices, Jesus is your friend. And then when you make bad ones, he's still your friend. Because he's not fair weather. He never leaves us and he sees us through right to the very end. Do you know who the very first person to be called a friend of God was in the Bible? Abraham. Abraham was the very first person to be called a friend of God. In Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 8, this speaks of Abraham. It's a prophetic word that God is giving to Isaiah. And it says, but you Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend. And then in James chapter 2 and verse 23, James writes, he says, Abraham believed God and it was credited, credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You know what Abraham wasn't? Perfect. Abraham was not perfect. I will venture to say Abraham actually didn't have it all together. His life was, you know, slightly out of control. Good times and bad times. But he never... He never, God never wavered in his friendship. Never, not once did he waver in his friendship. I wanna, I wanna walk through Abraham's life a little bit. We're not gonna read it because it literally takes up like almost 15 chapters of the book of Genesis. It starts in Genesis chapter 12 and, and goes through to about Genesis chapter 25. But I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna show you and just kind of walk through some of the highlights of Abraham's life. In Genesis chapter 12, the first time that we, we, we were, were introduced to Abraham, who at this point, his name is actually Abram, because God changes his name. So it's, it's Abram and it's Sarai. And they, it's, God changes their names to Abraham and Sarah. So for simplicity's sake, I will just call him Abraham. In Genesis chapter 15, God speaks to Abraham, or 12, God speaks to Abraham and he calls him out of the country where he's currently living. And he says, I'm going to take you somewhere that you don't know. And I'm going to take you to a land. And when you get to the land, I'm going to show it to you because I'm going to give it to your descendants. And so Abraham follows the voice of the Lord. See, in this moment, Abraham is obedient. 
after he gets there and he sees the land, there's a famine in the land, and he decides he's going to go to Egypt because he hears that there's still food in Egypt. He gets to Egypt, and he's, he's actually afraid of the Egyptians because Sarah, his wife, is incredibly beautiful. And so he's afraid that the Egyptians are going to see his wife, and they're going to kill him, and they're going to take his wife as their own. So he comes up with this plan. He goes, he goes Sarah, when we get to Egypt, I want you to tell everybody that you're my sister. That way they won't kill me. And, and I'll be able to, and I'll be able to live, be able to survive the famine. She goes along with it. Abraham lies. Genesis chapter fifteen. God promises Abraham and Sarah a son. Abraham is seventy-five years old at the time. Do you have anybody who's seventy-five? <laughs> Could you imagine getting that word at seventy-five? Genesis chapter 16, Abraham and Sarah, have they've grown a little bit tired of waiting for this promised son to arrive. And so they're like, we're going to make this happen on our own. Sarah comes up with this great idea. I've got a, I've got a female servant. Her name is Hagar. I'm going to give Hagar to you, Abraham, and we're, we're going to make this promise happen on our own. We, we, we hear, yes, God, we hear you. We're going to give you a son. This is how it's going to happen. And so she gives Hagar to Abraham. Um, they, they end up having a son together. They, the son is named Ishmael. Now this, as you can all imagine, did not turn out very well, right? Um, I'm not sure what, what Sarah was thinking at the moment, but after this happens and the baby is born, Hagar begins to despise Sarah. Sarah begins to mistreat Hagar, and so Hagar um, runs away. And then God tells her to, to come back. And this is only the beginning of the disaster of this story, so more on that in, in just a moment. Genesis 17 and 18. God visits them again and promises that he will make Abraham into a great nation. And God again promises that Abraham and Sarah will have a son. They're, at this point in the story, Abraham's like 99 years old. After hearing this promise spoken again, this, this is what Abraham does. <laughs> he laughs. Sarah's behind the tent because she's not in the meeting. She's behind the tent and she hears it and she laughs. And so then God says, why is Sarah laughing? And so like, Abraham, like, conf God confronts Sarah and she goes, I didn't laugh. And he said, listen, when the baby is born, born, when the boy is born, you are to name him Isaac. Do you know what Isaac means? He laughs. Don't laugh at God because he always gets the last laugh. Genesis chapter 19, Abraham intercedes for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah where his nephew Lot lives. Genesis chapter 20, Abraham lies again tells the king that Sarah is his sister, and the king actually takes action and takes Sarah into his harem. So he takes Sarah to be one of his wives. And in a dream the night after he does that, God visits this king and says these literal words, you're a dead man. Like, I don't know if there could be anything more terrifying than God showing up in your dream and going, you're a dead man. Because he took Sarah. So the, the king goes and he confronts Abraham. He goes, hey, I'm, I'm innocent here. You told me this was your sister. And, and now God says, I'm like, he's going he's gonna to kill me. And so he gives, he gives Sarah back to Abraham. And he says, now you need to pray for me that God does not kill me. And Abraham prays for the king. And the king lives. Genesis chapter 21. Isaac, the promised son, is born to Abraham from Sarah. Enter back into the story, Hagar and Ishmael. Sarah, at this point in time, turns on Hagar again is mistreating her and says to Abraham, you need to send that woman and her son away. 
And so they send, he sends them off into the wilderness, a mom and her son alone. The angel of the Lord visits them, speaks to them, and, and, and you know, he helps them and says to them, I'm going to make your son into a great nation, just not the, just not the nation uh, from, from Abraham. Genesis chapter 22, God tells Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, and he obeys. God intervenes and saves Isaac at the last moment. And then Genesis 23, 24, and 25, Sarah dies. Abraham chooses a wife for Isaac, and then Abraham also passes away. What a life Abraham lived. Abraham was obedient, and then he was disobedient. Abraham was faith-filled, and then he was faithless. Abraham was a man of character and a man of integrity. He was also a man with character flaws. He trusted God, and then he didn't trust God. He believed God, and then he laughed at God. Even though Abraham made significant mistakes, I mean, like, we're not, seriously, he made significant mistakes, significant bad decisions. He's still called God's friend. And the very first one to be called God's friend. Not only to be called God's friend, but for God to say, that's my See, because it's, it's different. It's a whole nother story for someone to look and be like, oh, Stephen, that's God's friend. I, I, I can see that. Lose, I can see that's, that's God's friend, right? Stephanie, that's God's friend. Then for that, that to get turned and for God to say, Stephanie, my friend. Luann, my friend. It's different when it's coming the other way. God says, that's my friend. Abraham and Sarah laugh at God and his promise, but he still calls them his friend. Abraham lies, but God still calls him his friend. Abraham tries to make the promise happen all on his own, in his own strength, and he ends up creating this huge mess, this massive disaster. When we make mistakes, he still calls us his friend. I want you to understand this morning that Jesus is with you through it all. It's not only when we're hitting our stride. It's not only when, we're, man, I'm really feeling life. I'm really, I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm really in the groove of, the, of, of following Jesus. You know, I'm, I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I'm going to church. I'm, I'm telling people about Jesus. I'm inviting them to come to church with me. I'm tithing. I'm giving offerings. I'm serving. I'm, I'm doing all this stuff, man. I'm, I am feeling it. Yet, you're his friend. He's also your friend when you make those knuckleheaded, boneheaded decisions. When you're faithless. When your character flaws come to the surface, when you fail, when you fall on your face, laying on your face in the dirt and in the mud, God goes, that's my friend. I think, you know, we get caught up on not falling. And that, yes, like, I'm not saying like, like anything goes, but there's, there's, a, there's a scripture that say, though the righteous fall seven times, yet they arise. Who falls? The righteous. It's not, it's, 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 it's not, it's not that you fall is, is the real problem. The real problem is if you never get back up. Because God says it's the righteous that get back up. Laying on your face in the dirt and in the mud, God says, that's, Jesus says, that's, your, that's, that's my friend. And he's standing there with his hand out. He said, okay, now come on, come on, friend. Let's get up. Let's get up. Take my hand. I'm going to help you up. We're going to get back up together. We're, we're going to keep going together. Because he's not a fair weather friend. 
Remember the message that I shared with you on Easter when I talked about how Jesus walks with you even when you walk the wrong way. When you walk away from him, he still walks with you because he is your all-weather friend. We've got to get this right in our, in our minds, in our, in our understanding, and also in our spirits. That Jesus is like no other friend that you've ever had. He's not going anywhere ever. He doesn't guilt you. He doesn't shame you. He doesn't manipulate you to get you to do what he wants you to do, to get you to act in a certain way. He will correct you. He will discipline you, but he will never leave you. He will work in your life to bring you back to himself. He will never abandon you. And listen, it's always good to clarify this. When you're laying on your face in the dirt and the mud because you made some really bad choices, he's with you. He's your friend but he's not giving thumbs up to the things that you just did. Acceptance and approval are not the same thing. He accepts you always, but he does not always approve of your behavior. He does not always approve of my life choices. Philippians chapter one and verse six, Paul writes, he says, I pray with great faith for you because I'm fully convinced that the one who began this gracious work in you will faithfully continue the process of maturing you until the unveiling of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus knows where he wants you to be. He knows who he wants you to become. And he's faithful to get you there through the missteps, through the mistakes, through the bad decisions, the rotten attitudes, the selfishness, the immaturity. He's working in your life so that you and I can grow up. He wants us to grow up. He wants us to become mature spiritual adults. Anybody know that old, that old kid's song, He's Still Working On Me? He's still working on me to make me what I need to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. yourself a little bit of grace because you're a work in progress you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror or at the end of the day you are looking in the mirror and you're like man I suck today <laughs> what on earth was I doing he's still working on you you're a work in progress but here okay here, here's the thing about being a work in progress there's a key word in there Progress. <laughs> you can't be a work in progress if there's no progress. If you're exactly the same today as you were five years ago, there's no progress. You're not a work in progress. You're just laying on the ground. This is, go to the next slide. That's what it looks like. Jesus just dragging you along. I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever seen Inside Out. I can't go on. I'm too sad. I just need to lay here for a minute. This is honestly, some this Jesus, like, I'm not looking, so wave your hand if you've ever felt like Jesus has been dragging you around a little bit. I, listen, I don't have to look. I know we've all been in this place where we're just like, there's no progress, and Jesus is dragging you along. He says, come on, come on, son. Come on, friend. Let's go. We got a place to go. We got, we got somewhere to be, and he's just dragging, he's just dragging you along. What? Man, sometimes Jesus looks like that. He's like, ugh, 
Will you get up already? I'm just kidding. I just thought that was funny. See, if there's no progress in my life, it means that I've stopped allowing my friendship with Jesus to shape and mold my life. Like, that's the goal. He's, grow, he's growing me. There's got to be progress in my life. I've gotta, you've got to participate in the friendship. It, 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 goes, it goes both ways. See, because friendship is togetherness. It means that we do things together. It's, it's like partnership, but, but better. See, if I don't participate with Jesus in the friendship and allow him to grow me and correct me and guide me, instead of walking around with him as friends, it looks, he's just dragging me along. And it, that's, not, that's not his, that's not really not his view of friendship, is dragging us where he wants us to be. He wants to walk with us. There are many aspects and dimensions to our relationship with God. And sometimes we, we get in these things where we will overemphasize one or another, right? Like, we're, we're servants of God. Yes, this, this is 100% true. But if we, over, if we overemphasize that we are his servant, then I miss out on that he's my dad, right? And then so then there's that aspect of, of, he, of God's my father, that's my dad. And if I overemphasize that, then I miss out on the fact that he's also my king. And I become a, a, maybe, you know, a little bit too familiar with, with my dad because I, you know, I can crawl up on my dad's lap and I'm like, hey, I, I need a hug, you know. But, but a king, a king you treat with awe and respect and with honor because king's, king's royalty is awesome. Right, but if we just focus on the, on the awe of God, of Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, then I miss out on that he's my friend. And he doesn't just want to tell me what to do. He wants to do stuff with me. Not just be like, hey, Craig, I want you to do this. Now go and do that. Now, okay, yeah, we're, we're friends. See, that's not really how friendship works. Like, Ryan and I are, are friends. I know Ryan likes football. He's a big Chargers fan, and so he's lived disappointed a lot through the seasons of football. I mean, I, I'm not saying anything he hasn't already said. We kind of had this conversation uh, earlier uh, this, this past week. I, I, football's okay, but I grew up in Canada. I am, a, I am a hockey fan. I am a, like, you cut me, and they're like, hockey comes out. And like, I, I bleed for my team, the Edmonton Oilers, and we are in the mix of the playoffs with the dreaded Los Angeles Kings, and we're, we're down two games to one, and the game is at six o'clock tonight, and you know where I'm going to be? In the prayer room. I'm going to be in prayer room, because this is how I fight my battles. <laughs> my team needs me to be in the prayer room. <laughs> But if when Ryan and I spend time together, if, we, if, I only, if I only ever talk about hockey, if we only ever go watch hockey games, that's all we ever do, what kind of a friendship do we have? Not a very good one. It's a pretty surface one. It's, it's all one way. See, when, you, when you're a friend with Jesus, it's not all one way. Friendships go back and forth. It goes both ways. passage in John 15 that we read at the beginning, Jesus says to the disciples, clearly telling them that they are now his friends because he's sharing with them everything that he has heard from the Father. See, servants just do what they're told. And servants are just on a need-to-know basis. Jesus says, I'm sharing with you everything that I've heard from the Father. And I'm not calling you servants. I'm calling you my friends. See, friends are brought in Friends, friends are brought into the information, in, in, into, the, into the meeting. Friends, friends communicate and participate in the conversation. Remember how, like when I was going through Abraham's life and I said that he interceded for, for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah? 
This is friendship with God. They're standing there on a hill, like there's God and two angels of the Lord are there. And then the angels of the Lord go off to see what's happening in Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and Abraham's standing on a hill, and he's looking at the cities with, with God. And, uh, and God says, should I keep from my friend what's about to happen? And Abraham says, without God telling him he's going to destroy the city, Abraham says, would you spare the city if there's 50 righteous people? And God says, yeah. Spare the city, and then and then Abraham goes. Well, what what what, what if there's forty five? God says, Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll spare this. Do you see the Do you see this friendship? It's just going back. It's 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 it's, it's two way. It's not just God telling us what to do. It's togetherness. It's partnership. It's commitment to one another through thick and thin. This is what it means to be a friend of Jesus. He's not going to ditch you because you made some bad decisions. When you when you when you receive Jesus into your life and you screw up during the week, you don't have to come back here and get saved all over again. But he's with you. Now, I'm, I'm like, you turn and you reject and you walk away, you're gonna have to do some resaving again, right? It's not once saved, always saved. You can walk away, but because you walk away doesn't mean that he walks away from you. He's with you. He's for you until the very end. Even if you abandon him, Adrian, God's friend, Melissa, friend of Jesus, Dale, Jesus' friend, Jeremy, friend of Jesus. It's not just, it, it, it's an aspect, it's not just Jesus, friend of sinners, because that's what we were. That's not who you are. Jesus befriends the sinner so that he can make them into saints. You are saints. And he calls you a friend. This is, this is I want to just sum up. This is what I'm leaving you with today. Jesus wants to be your friend. And it's up to you and I to accept the gift, of, the offer of friendship. And it requires that we give our lives completely and we follow his teachings to can be with you no matter what. He loves you. He knows who you, who you are and he knows who he wants you to be and who you can be. And he will get you there. And three, friends do things together. Jesus wants to do some of the things that are in your heart. He's gonna sit down with you and he's gonna say, hey, Holly, what are you thinking? What do you wanna do? Let's do that. Let's do that together to close your eyes. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that we have this mind-boggling opportunity to be your friend, the friend of God. We, we have not earned this, and we do not deserve it. Jesus, I'll gladly take it. Thank you for your friendship. through the good times and through the bad times, through the things that we do well and the things that we do not so well. Thank you for your friendship. Thank you that you never leave us. I pray that you take the words that I've spoken today and that you would drive them deep into our spirits, that we would know in our knower on the inside that we are your friend. 
Is there anyone here today and you'd say, you know what, right now I'm actually not his friend. I don't know him that way, but I'd like to. I just, just raise your hand if there's anyone here this morning. I don't know everyone personally, so I don't want to assume one way or the other. Jesus.